Thessalonians chapter 2. Before we read, I have a quick announcement to make. Each year in the fall, uh, beginning last year and moving forward, uh, I plan on taking a trip um, away for a, a period of time, usually anywhere from three days to five days. And the purpose of that is to leave all technology in the dust um, and to um, just take my Bible, some books, uh, my prayer list, and my preaching calendar and get away and walk with the Lord and have a time of refreshing and renewing myself spiritually uh, and uh, planning the next year's preaching calendar. So last year I went to Vermont. This year I am traveling to the state of Alabama. Um, I have a reason in mind. There is a method to the badness, and it has to do with uh, some of the things we're doing next year. There is somebody down there that's going to be able to help me see things from a, a, a different perspective that I think only a few people could offer. So I leave on Monday evening next week, and I get back on uh, Saturday morning. So pray for me as I travel that uh, I'm safe, and uh, we'll be, I'll be obviously praying for all of you extra next week. Uh, so uh, but that will be going on next week, and Pastor Mike is going to be bringing the message next week. And he's he. it's neat to see uh, how God is bringing him along and maturing him in his growth in ministry. So um, I know he'll be a blessing next week as he speaks to you all. So be in your place and be supportive of him. First Thessalonians 2, let's, uh, let's stand if we could for the reading of God's word, verses 13 and 14. By the way, my phone, I think I left it at home. I'm starting this technology fast a little early. Um, I think that's where it is. So if anyone gets an update about the Levines at the end of the service, if you could just raise your hand and let me know that. First Thessalonians two thirteen and 14, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So we're going to continue our study out of First Thessalonians or about the book of First Thessalonians, looking at this idea of purification through persecution. Let's pray. Lord, tonight as we look at the second half of the book, I pray that, that we would be challenged the way that uh, the church of Thessalonica was challenged. And help us, Lord, to not reject or push away from uh, uh, pain or persecution of our righteousness. But, Lord, understand that it works a work of purity that is completely necessary. And so uh, help us as we focus on these things tonight. Lord, move in our hearts, move in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Last week we began by talking about how most Christians push away from any thought of pain or persecution. And uh, that's normal. And I think I made the comment uh, recently in a, in a message that if I put a sign-up sheet on the back table and I said, uh, go sign up for, uh, to receive your next big trial in life, uh, that no one would sign up. I can't think of a person who go put their name down uh, because on that, from that could come cancer or uh, you know, um, uh, irregular, you know, irregular, irregularity to the digestive system, 
anything, uh, you know, you could have a loved one get sick or you get in a car accident. No one's going to go sign up for that. No one wants that. Um, no one wants a militia man walking in that back door and arresting all of us for showing up to church. Nobody wants to run that risk. Nobody wants to run the risk of being arrested at a border for bringing Bibles into a country, right? We don't want our country to get to that point. I made the statement last week that in the New Testament, um, uh, Christians uh, were, were, were Christians were struggling and the church was thriving. In 2018, Christians are thriving and churches are struggling. Uh, we need persecution in our own lives to help purify us. How many, of you, how many of you were here on a Sunday evening about a year and a half ago when I showed a video uh, of a, uh, the old way they used to purify gold? Does anybody here remember that? It was a lowly attended week. I think it was really bad weather outside, if I remember right. Uh, but the process is not fun if you're the gold. You're, you're put in a molten furnace, and then they scrape off the impurities. Um, let me just ask this tonight. How many of you are going through some sort of hard time in your life right now? Would you raise your hand if there's some sort of difficulty in your life right now? You know, if you handle that the way that your flesh wants you to handle it, you're questioning God, you're frustrated, you don't understand why, you're begging God to make it end, you can't wait for it to end. And I understand that. I get it. But do you know that without the fire of life, you're never going to be pure? You're just not. If life is, if life is easy, then why change? You're never going to change. How about the church on a corporate level? Um, I'm not running to God in my prayer life and saying, Lord, please send persecution to White Oak Baptist Church. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't want, and by the way, I'll preface the statement, we do everything financially above board here. Everything. Um, to the place where if a staff man uses a piece of plastic uh, to buy something and a receipt's not turned in, and this goes for me too, uh, if the receipt's not turned in, then the money is withdrawn from the paycheck, just so that every dollar, every dime is accounted for. Uh, but I'm not looking to have the IRS drop in on us next week and audit us. I'm just not looking for a witch hunt. I'm not. Um, I'm not looking for our country to pass laws where that limit that what I can preach out of the Bible and put me in a spot where I run the risk of being arrested or the church losing its tax-exempt status because uh, I, uh, there are, are topics that can't be preached against. Some of you remember a few years ago uh, back when the Houston mayor tried to say that all pastors had to submit their sermons. You all remember when that happened? And I think the mayor's office received something like 500 Bibles and said, here, you want the contents of my sermon? Here it is right here. Check it out, right? You have a problem with this book, you're probably going to have a problem with my sermons. And uh, that fell apart. That fell apart. Uh, none of us are signing up for persecution, but persecution brings purity. Do you all under, understand that and agree with that? And we need persecution sometimes. We need hard times sometimes. Now, I've learned that in my own life, sometimes I feel persecuted uh, by the consequences of my own choices. 
And I can claim persecution, but really it just comes back on my poor decision making. You say, well, pastor, have there ever been times where you have been persecuted because you took a stand for what was right? And the answer is obviously yes. Yes. But can I tell you what I have found in those times where I have been ridiculed? uh, And I say persecuted. I haven't been persecuted like people in the 1040 window who run the risk of having their head chopped off. Okay, none of us have ever been persecuted. When I talk about persecution, I'm talking about first world persecution. That's very different than, say, what Brother Mark back here sees when he goes to India as a missionary or the Johnsons see when they go to India as missionaries. And some of the stories they hear from the people they meet who who go to some of those surrounding countries. But have I ever experienced uh, some level of slight uh, persecution or slandering or running down The answer to that is yes, but can I tell you that in those times where I know that I'm being slandered and I know that in my heart I've done nothing wrong, there is a peace from God that everything's okay. Everything's okay. Persecution will, I think, greatly help our church. Persecution, I believe, when it does come, will run the phonies out of the building and bring the people that are true about God and make them more true about God. If you're on the fence when persecution comes, you're not going to be on the fence very long. Either you're going to get all the way in, or you're going to get all the way out. All the way in or all the way out. And so uh, the background here to the book of 1 Thessalonians was that the church was started by Paul. Uh, We find the story in Acts chapter 17. We looked at it last week. But uh, Paul's there for a little over three weeks. He's teaching in the synagogue. Some Jews get saved, many of the Gentiles get saved, and a whole slew of the noble women of the city get saved. And the Jewish men hire a mob, they go, they rent a mob, and they, uh, brutish men, Acts 17 tells us, and they uh, uh, come to get Paul out of Jason's house where he was staying. And Paul and Silas skipped town right before they were uh, caught up by the mob and drug out of town. And so um, Paul is gone and Jason is taken before the elders along with some of the other church leaders. Paul writes this letter back, back to Thessalonica, worried that the persecution has discouraged them and gotten them to quit, but finds out from Timothy that no, indeed, they were going strong. So last week, uh, just to recap uh, quickly there, we looked at Paul celebrates their faithfulness. That's number one. Paul celebrates their faithfulness. And we looked at uh, letter A, reception. Letter B, rejection. Uh, they received the gospel. And as a result, they had to reject some things. And because they rejected some things and ideologies and philosophies, they in turn were rejected by the people uh, who didn't want to let go of those things. And they formed this tight-knit bond within the walls of the church where they began to speak in terms, Paul began to speak in terms of a father and children and a, a nurse uh, that takes care of, 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 her, of her babies. And uh, these were terms, terms of endearment because the family of God ought to be just that. It ought to be a family. They ought to look after each other and take care of each other. When the rest of the world has rejected you because of your stand for Christ, you ought to know that you can go to church and be loved by the people who are taking a stand for Christ with you. And then we looked at letter D, rejoicing. Let's jump in and look at the second half of the book and, uh, and look at number two, Paul challenges their faith. Paul challenges their faith. Now, he celebrates 
their faithfulness. Boy, uh, they have been faithful even in persecution. They have endured the hard times. They have withstood the tests. And they are faithful. And Paul took uh, a good uh, chunk of three chapters and he celebrated that. But now Paul is going to challenge their faith. He's going to challenge their faith. And let's jump in and look at letter A, uh, sexual purity. Sexual purity. Look with me at chapter 4 in verse number 1, if you can. Uh, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians there. It says, furthermore than, uh, uh, furthermore than we... Uh, let me start that over. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For ye know the, uh, what commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now, so he's telling them, we want you to take where you're at and we want you to grow further. We don't want it to stop. We want it to continue. Now, how do we want you to better yourself? Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. When I read that word sanctification, I think about God putting me in a, a spiritual bathtub and wa- giving me a bath on the inside. He's trying to wash me up and clean me up. How many of you men have ever changed the oil or done some mechanical work and gotten grease all over your hands? And uh, you go into the kitchen and you turn the water in on in the kitchen sink. Maybe you did this early on in your marriage and you did it once and that was it. And you pick up the soap, you know what I'm talking about? And you, you get, you set the soap down when you're done. And while your hands might be 90% clean, that soap looks like it helped you change the oil. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I, I want you to picture that that's how dirty you are when you get saved. This sanctification process is a washing away of the layers of filth of who you were prior to being saved. Now, you've been saved that you are to leave behind the old lifestyle and you are to take on a new lifestyle. And you don't need to arrive the next day, but boy, you better start heading there quickly, especially in some certain areas. Now, uh, we're going to read three through eight. But before I do, I want to make this comment. I have found myself teaching on this topic a whole lot more than I would prefer lately. I don't like talking about uh, sexual looseness. I don't enjoy talking about that. In fact, I would rather um, um, ignore that topic and not teach on it. It's not something I like addressing. You say, well, pastor, then why have you been teaching on it so much? Because we're teaching through the Bible. And Paul was addressing this in almost every letter he wrote. And if we're going to teach the Bible and be honest, we've got to cover the whole thing. Um, do, you, do you see here that in the early church, behaving themselves in this area was a struggle? I'm starting to get that idea. If it wasn't a struggle, I don't think Paul would address it. But in just about every letter, he touches on this topic because there are those within the church that are struggling with this. And the most notable one, obviously, is 1 Corinthians, where it was going on and it wasn't being dealt with. It was being ignored by the leadership of the church. And Paul basically said, hey, you all better get this right. You can't allow this and continue running through your church. But he addressed it in many, many other letters. Now, here in chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, he doesn't accuse anyone specifically of struggling with it. But he is telling them this is a struggle in the culture and it should not be a struggle 
with you. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Well, what is fornication? Fornication is any sexual sin outside of any, any, any form of sexuality, really, outside of the bonds of marriage. Any. So premarital sex, extramarital sex, uh, um, um, uh, uh, pornography would probably definitely fit in there. Those are fornications. Now, look at verse number four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. The best way to explain verse five is that these Gentiles were just doing what their bodily impulses told them to do. They had no way of saying no. They didn't know how to say no. If their body wanted, they went and got it. The best way to describe verse 5 is the old phrase, if it feels good, do it. That's the lust of concupiscence. If it feels good, just do it. Hey, you got a good-looking woman that walks by you and she's not dressed real well? Just stare. Just stare. You have an ad pop up on your cell phone, and I'm going to bring it into 2018 and, and modernize the Bible here, but if you have an ad pop up on your cell phone and it is a picture of a lusty man or a lusty woman... Just click on it and stare. By the way, lust isn't just something that men deal with. Lust is something that women deal with. Um, I uh, have watched uh, some videos online where a man goes around and he confronts people about their soul. One of the questions he asks them is, have you ever looked with lust in your heart? He asks this to men and women. And I've never seen a woman tell him, no, I've never done that. No, I've never done that. I'm not a woman. I don't know what that's like. i got to tell you, I don't understand why a woman would look at lust with a man. I don't understand it because to me, every man is ugly. Every man is ugly. I've never seen a good-looking man in my life. Some are not as ugly as others, right? There's an ugly scale, and uh, some are on the, 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 the end where they're not quite as ugly as other men. But I've never seen a man that isn't ugly. But God uh, created you women to believe that we're not. I don't know how he did it, uh, other than he's a miracle-working God. But he created you women to think that uh, uh, at least some of us aren't. And uh, uh, we stink. We're, 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 uh, we've got bad habits, right? We're not cultured naturally like you ladies are. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, this is an issue that goes both ways. And Paul is saying... You are to possess your body, uh, your vessel, uh, with sanctification and with honor. Look at verse 6. Uh, that no man go beyond, no one in mankind go beyond and defraud his brother or sister, for that matter, in any matter, uh, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Here, he's being very specific in verse 6, that, look, two people that are siblings in Christ should not be involved in sexual relations outside of the bond of marriage. Because you are siblings in Christ. How dare you defraud a sibling in Christ? If you want to be with them, marry them and then be with them. But Paul is saying here, you are defrauding their vessel while you are defrauding your vessel if they're your sibling in Christ and you're with them. Look at verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto 
holiness. So that act of being with someone outside of marriage is uncleanness. Verse 8, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God. So if you're involved in that, you're not just despising mankind, you are despising God directly. And he gives us an explanation why. Who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And so you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. These verses very well correspond with 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. What know you not? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your temple, which are God's, uh, uh, which belong to God, which are God's. So uh, we are to be, make sure that we are we are behaving ourselves in this area. Now, as far as I know, there's nobody... Uh, under the sound of my voice tonight, who is living in some sort of open sexual sin. But what you do in private, God knows. And um, uh, there could be some sort of an affair going on within our church that nobody knows about. I don't think that's the case. I sure pray it's not the case. Uh, but if that is, boy, confess that and get that right with God. There could be someone here who has a lust issue, a look with lust issue. Confess that to the Lord and uh, seek out the help that you need and make sure you're keeping that vessel right and clean. Letter B, notice serving others. So Paul now turns his attention. He's challenging their faith and he's saying, hey, listen, you need to serve others. And it, it looks like that of all of the things Paul's going to address with this church, This is an area they had down pat, and that would make sense. They were being persecuted. They were watching their brother, excuse me, they're watching their brothers and sisters be persecuted, and so it was easy for them to love one another. Look at verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase uh, more and more, uh, verse 11, and that ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you. I had a teacher that had that verse hung up on the wall. Uh, verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may lack of nothing. So he's saying here, look, you need to love your brothers. You need to look out for them, brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to look out for them. You need to take care of them. You need to be busy serving each other's needs. And Paul says, with this, you're going to serve each other's needs, but you need to strike a balance. While you need to serve other people's needs, you don't need to be a gossiping busybody. Study to be quiet and do your own business. Study to be quiet and do your own business. Hey, uh, uh, you know the worst uh, thing about church gossip? Church gossip usually starts this way. Hey, uh, hey, hey, Sister Margaret, pray for, uh, pray for Brother Mark because um, I saw him smoking a cigarette the other day. And we need to keep him in prayer. No, that's not true, by the way. Lexan, that's how rumors get started. Behave yourself. Um, we spiritualize our gossip. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay? You, you, you know someone's got a problem. Go to them. Talk to them about it in private. Make sure you pray first. Talk to them about that in private. And then, uh, and then uh, if that doesn't go anywhere, you talk to the Lord about it. If it is a church discipline issue, then you can... Come and talk to church leadership about it, a pastor or a deacon. Uh, but you handle that discreetly. 
and uh, you, you are looking out for the betterment of people. You're not looking to ruin someone's life, to trash them. You're looking to help them. Let me just put it to you this way. There is a, there is a whole bunch of people that hate your faith. They hate your faith. They hate the fact that you're here right now. They view you as a radical, cultish nut. Just because you're opening the Bible and studying it. They are, in essence, lined up with the enemy. They are the ones that we need to be together against. Christians, let's not fight with each other. I'm talking about churches that bicker with other churches. I'm talking about people within the church that bicker with each other and are slandering each other and ripping each other and putting each other down. That ought not be named amongst us. No, no, no. I'm not your enemy and you're not my enemy. Satan is the enemy and the forces of darkness that line up with him, they are the enemy. And so let's love each other and let's pray for each other. And when one of us struggles, let's not kick them while they're down. Let's do our best to help them up and see them restored uh, and, and move forward. So uh, Paul challenges their faith about sexual purity. He challenges their faith about being uh, serving, uh, serving others. Let her see. Notice he challenges their faith about Christ's Second coming. Now, some background on this is that most likely many of the Thessalonians had been, of the church had been killed for their faith, and so there were many that had been buried, put in the ground, and there was a, a cloud of sadness and confusion that was hanging over the church about what would happen to these saints now that they were dead. If Christ were to return, they knew that Jesus was going to come back because Paul had taught that to them. And they had heard that, uh, uh, no doubt, through other sources. They understood that uh, the, the, the account of Jesus saying that he was going to come back again when he ascended. But uh, what was going to happen to those that had died? And so Paul writes to them to comfort their hearts and say, hey, listen, let me challenge what you know about Christ's second coming and what's going to happen to those that are dead and in the ground so that you don't have to weep that they are without hope. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 13 and keep that thought in context as we read the passage. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or those that have passed away, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. So you you don't need to be ignorant. You don't need to sorrow about those uh, that were among you that have already died and are in the grave. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So we're not going to prevent them. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. This is speaking of the rapture. With the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then uh, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the uh, clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Continue chapter five, verse one. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For uh, yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord uh, uh, so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman. 
uh, with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief here. So uh, Paul is telling the church, he said, listen, you all don't need to gather in front of graves and weep and worry about those that have died and, and be concerned that somehow God is not going to take care of their souls. He says one day Jesus is going to come back in the clouds, a trump's going to blow, and the very first thing that's going to happen are those that are dead, they're going to come up out of the ground, they're going to meet, and then we're going to, we're going to be resurrected, and we're all going to meet the Lord in the air. You say, well, why is it that they're going to raise first? Because most of them are starting six feet under, and we're six feet above. Well, some of us are six feet above. Others are like four foot eleven above, right? But we're we're above and they're below, and so they're going to get a head start. I, look, I, I got to be honest with you on this. Scientifically, I don't know how it's all going to work uh, because you now have two thousand years worth of dead Christians, and so uh, um, you know uh, what what happens to their decomposed uh, bodies. I don't know all that, but look, if God and Ezekiel can put dry bones back together and have the sinew come on the bone and, and bring all that back together, there isn't anything that God can't do, right? Uh, he can do anything he wants. I, I may have said that wrong. God can do anything he wants, okay? And so he can bring all that back together. Look, you say, well, what about a loved one that's been cremated? Is God going to somehow bring them back? And look, again, God can do anything he wants. God can uh, even put them back together, even though they have been burnt and bones grinded down into ashes. God can put all that back together and ascend them up into the skies. And uh, we're going to forever be with the Lord. That's the comforting message. That's the comforting message. I think tonight of some of the funerals I've done since I've been the pastor here. I think tonight of uh, friends of mine that have gone on to glory. I think tonight about my godly grandmother who trained young girls how to be soul winners well into her 80s and took young ladies. And she lived out that verse in Titus that talked about the, the older women teaching the younger women how to respect their husbands and, 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 and all of those things it talks about, I believe, Titus 2 there. Um, uh, I remember going to her deathbed, and the last conversation she had with anyone was with me and Angela, and Matthew was a newborn baby, and she reached up and rubbed his leg. Shortly thereafter, she would fall asleep and then eventually pass on to glory and had a, a godly, glowing smile about her as she passed away. And, and, and I don't have to weep for my grandmother. I don't have to weep for my loved ones because... I know where they are, and I know that Jesus is coming back, and it's all going to be okay. How many of you here have family and friends who are already in glory? It's going to be a great day when Jesus comes back, isn't it? On top of leaving all the sin behind and struggles behind and trials behind, we're going to forever be with the Lord, and we're going to be with them. So he was comforting this persecuted church, saying, hey, listen, you don't need to weep, comfort one another with this thought that those that are dead are one day going to be forever with the Lord. Letter D, notice spiritual enlightenment. Spiritual enlightenment. Now, Paul's going to uh, uh, use a transitional verse here, or he's going to kind of connect two thoughts uh, together. Go back and look at verse number four. He's talking about that Jesus' return is going to be like a thief in the night, right? Um, no one's going to expect it. Everyone's going to pretend like, oh, it didn't happen or, or it's never going to happen. And uh, as the world lets their guard down about Jesus' return, 
whammo, there he is. He comes back and, and, uh, and uh, comes like a thief in the night. And then he uses that concept of night to transition into that we are not children of the night. Look at verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, uh, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day, for we are not of the night nor of darkness. Now he's going to continue on the analogy here. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. Let us be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Uh, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we uh, uh, beseech you, uh, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their works sake and be at peace among yourselves. So he's saying here, look, don't live like children of the darkness. Live like children of light. You don't live in the darkness. You live in the light. What, what goes on in the dark? Well, he lists a few things here. People get drunk at nighttime, right? What's the, uh, what's the uh, pattern in some of you that work jobs? You got in your car and you drove to church and you have buddies that maybe were co-workers, maybe that got in their car and drove to the bar. And those are just the kindergarten teachers, Rose. Right? Um, I got to say, never mind. Um, but um, I remember I worked a job in Aberdeen, Maryland. It was a um, warehouse job, and I was selecting product and building pallets. It was back-breaking work. But I was a young kid, and so I, I could handle it well. Uh, but I can remember I'd walk into the break room, uh, uh, or the, the area there where you had your locker and your things and you, you ate your lunch there. And I can remember on a Friday night leaving work, 11 o'clock at night, and the guys are talking about how they're going to go get hammered. And I can remember one Saturday where the weather was really bad and, and we couldn't leave for a long time, and so we were up there and uh, they were telling their, their war stories about how they got drunk and got miserably sick. And finally, after about 30 minutes listening to these stories, I piped up and I said, why do you guys drink? Listen to yourselves. This is awful. And they're like, yeah, I know, but it's fun. It's fun to puke your guts up? That's fun? You have fun doing that? Um, but what goes on in the dark? People drink at night. People sleep at night. Uh, thieves rob at night. Right? And, and God says, you're not children of darkness. You're children of light. So instead of being drunk, be sober. Be sober. That doesn't just mean don't be intoxicated. That means be straight in your mind and be watching, be, be aware, be thinking. And he says there, instead of sleeping, that doesn't mean you can't ever sleep, but instead of sleeping, be alert and watch. What are we watching for? We're watching for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And we're not watching like this, like the disciples. We're working while we're watching and we're waiting for him to come back. And instead of being a thief, we're going about, instead of taking from people, giving to people the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's finish this up. Letter E, notice, spiritual fulfillment, or rather spirit fulfillment. Spirit fulfillment. Chapter 5, verse 14 through 28, I believe strongly to be a list of things that will happen naturally once you have given control of yourself to the Holy Spirit of God. Once the Holy Spirit is in charge and sitting on the throne of your heart and you have died to to yourself, you've killed the flesh, these are things that will begin to evidence themselves in your life. Now, it isn't, let me just qualify this, it isn't an instantaneous thing. These are things that become more and more evident in your life the longer you live with Him in charge. Look at chapter 5, verse 14. Notice all the short phrases. Look here. Now we exhort you, brethren, beginning here, warn them that are unruly. You don't want to do that if you're not spirit-filled. All right? Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. How many know that being patient toward all men can't be done unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Right? We know, I know some people, I'm like, ah! And I, when I get frustrated, I know I'm not uh, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit control. Uh, be patient toward all men. Verse 15, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and all men. So we're not in a vengeance mode trying to get people back, but we're, we're looking to do good to people even when they do us wrong. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. Boy, that one's not easy, is it? Rejoicing for everything. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. That one's a tough one. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all, uh, approve all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and your body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the rest of the chapter, or re- rest of the book there, is a, uh, a closing there of the book uh, to the church. So uh, the idea here is that these things ought to take place if we're spirit-filled. I've preached on this plenty over the last year. I won't dwell here, but I will say this. Let's make sure the Holy Spirit's calling the shots in our life. And if you're not sure, this is a good litmus test. Am I being patient toward all men? Am I vengeful in my spirit? Am I rejoicing or am I complaining? Am I trying to figure things out on my own or am I praying without ceasing? Am I constantly in a state of prayer? Am I giving thanks in everything? Am I, uh, am I despising preaching? One way to know that is, are you falling asleep during church? Amen? Uh, despise not prophesying. So those are some things, uh, some litmus tests there tonight. So Paul challenges their faith. And tonight I would say... Let's have our faith challenged. Let's, let's clean some things up. Let's let God continue to, to wash us up from the inside out. That's true Christianity, right? Is not trying to get the outside right and fool everyone about the inside. Let's get the inside right, and then the outside will begin to take care of itself. Let's stand, and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer tonight. No updates? No word. All right. We'll pray for the Levines as well uh, as Krista is screaming through the pains of delivery. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you be with Krista now as she's delivering these babies and uh, help that process to be um, 
a, a safe one. And, Lord, that uh, these babies would be brought into the world and, and be healthy, and that Krista would be healthy uh, through this as well. And then, Lord, for, the, uh, for us tonight, help us to leave here and embrace uh, the tough times that come our way and allow it to purify us and make us better. And, Lord, we, um, we pray that our faith would be challenged, that we would be more like you in the way we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you all have a good night. God bless you. You're dismissed.